Right, this isn't a paper, it's nothing like that, it's just <laughs> reflections from some experience. Um, so, I do a number of things in life, um, one of them is I kind of dabble in this area of innovation a little bit, um, and I run ideation um, with businesses, with NGOs, and with others. Um, so I've done it with a boardroom level, um, uh, senior management, middle management, product owners, those kind of things. Um, but I wanted to talk about doing ideation with vulnerable groups. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how some of the principles around ideation, some of the things you do around it, and then I'm going to talk about why what works in the UK or in a business environment doesn't necessarily work um, with vulnerable groups. Um, and for many of you this will be common sense, but for some it might not be, and I'm hoping for those who might not be, it might be a bit helpful. Um, so, what's one of the first things? When you're running ideation sessions, particularly if you're looking for disruption, um, you're asking people to challenge the status quo, you're asking people to get rid of assumptions, you're asking people to really kind of park a lot of things and just come with an open mind. Um, use the phrase, the mind is like a parachute, only really works best when it's open. Um, if it's not open, you have some catastrophic failures. Um, so creating a relaxed environment helps with creating new ideas. So people feeling comfortable, feeling relaxed, feeling that they can actually be a bit playful um, helps. So creating ideation sessions, you try and do that. <coughs> Language is massive. Your whole education, the whole way you view the world is very much dominated by language. Um, so when we're running ideation sessions, we'll often use just little turns of phrases that helps people think. So running an ideation session yesterday with about 29 people, which was lots of fun. There's one or two in the room who were there. Um, we talk about, as you grow up um, and you're being taught, often your kind of whole process in education is you've got to find the right answer. So I'll ask you a question and say, what does UNHCR stand for? And until, until someone gives me the right answer, when you all put your hands up, I'm going to say, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, because there is only one answer. You can tell me afterwards what it is. Um, and, but there is only one. So what happens is you, you end up coming to the answer is. That's, that's where you come to. So by just changing some language to say the answer could be, means it opens up the world of possibilities that are more than one answer for any one thing. Also you'll use things like metaphors and other things which will play around with language to help people think differently about the problem they're facing. What else will you do? You'll do a bit of art. I hate this. I'm so not arty. <laughs> but you've got to run it because some people love it and it really helps some people's creative juices. So, whether it's creating models, drawing pictures, um, interpretive dance, whatever it is, you try it to try and unblock more ideas. So they're just some of the tools that you'll use in an ideation process. If people are running them here, you may well come across some of them. Um, and they're all great. The other thing is, who's heard of the Marshmallow Challenge and who's done it? Okay, so the Marshmallow Challenge is um, 
just a, a kind of creative game which you've got to get a marshmallow, you've given spaghetti, you're given um, tape and a bit of string and you, whoever can put marshmallow on the highest tower. And so the guy who ran this and he's got a TED talk, um, talks about which groups did the best. Um, and MBA students are the worst, <laughs> as you may expect. Um, CEOs are the second worst at doing this. Um, but actually, one of the best groups of doing it is kindergarten children. And it is because they haven't been battered to death by the education system, and they haven't been battered to death by people saying this is how the world should be. I would ban the word should if I could. Um, those kind of things. So they've got more creative ways of dealing with things. Also, they don't plan for ages. So they basically iterate very quickly, and that's the way they do things. But what that, people who've seen that talk and what they think then and what people often think is children are automatically creative. They're automatically going to come up with brilliant ideas and if we just facilitate those, away we go. It's brilliant. <laughs> Not always the case. So the problem is, what happens if you try and do ideation with children who this is their daily experience? Who have gone through trauma, who have real protection issues they're facing every day. So what happens when you're trying to do ideation with them around solving problems? So we say the answer could be, we're expecting bright imaginative ideas out of these children. But they can't think of an answer because you've already started by saying what's the problem you're trying to solve? And so when they're asked about the problem, that's what's in their head. So remember what we said about in terms of you've got to be open-minded, comfortable, relaxed. When you're reliving a traumatic experience that you might well be facing again that night, you can't think creatively. It's very difficult. Your mind closes in. So how do you go about dealing with what we would normally do in an ideation session, which is trying to define the problem? So if you're trying to define the problem, it's okay if you're trying to do it like we were yesterday, and the problem is kind of, it's to do with work, but that's okay, I'll go home after that, I get paid. It's a bit annoying, but hey, to actually, this is life or death for me, um, this problem. What if you ask them to draw? So let's say draw their dreams, their dream home. You might expect something like that, or this. But what happens if you get that? And what happens if you get that? And what happens if they don't want to show because they're embarrassed? Because actually, they're not very good at art. They know they're not very good at art. They've never been to school. They've never been taught how to draw. So what happens if you're trying to unleash creativity in a way you think is going to reach out with children, but actually they find it threatening? They find it a way that makes them feel small and insignificant. What happens, so what happens if they think people are laughing about it? What happens if you're running that session in their third language? Metaphor and semantics and language don't kind of translate so much. And what happens if actually their experience of the world isn't constructed so much by language that they've been taught through a formal education system? How do you deal with that? So in running ideation sessions with um, very vulnerable street children, these are some of the reflections we've had. We've gone into it, we've thought about it, we've gone through the process. So what are some of the reflections from that? One is, do not run any 
type of ideation session or any type of consultation with vulnerable groups if you haven't got a way of dealing with disclosure. So in one of the sessions I've run, you had disclosure of torture. In another session, you had disclosure of abuse within the state um, home system. What are you going to do with that? If you don't have psychosocial support lined up, if you don't have an understanding of the child protection system and where those things need to go and what you need to do with them, you're treading on very dangerous ground. One of the ways you can do it is disaggregate. So separate out the problem definition period from when you're actually trying to address the problem. So do research, do one-to-one, -one, find appropriate methodologies to work out what are the problems and issues faced by that vulnerable group. The second is disassociate, come up with user stories. So it's not their story, but it's someone else's story that you're talking about. So think about user stories that are realistic, but are user stories that don't have, make them reflect exclusively on something that they own. I've talked about the protection. The protection element is key. Um, one of the funny experiences is, if you run this with street children, they've got nowhere to sleep safely. So you put on a nice, safe working environment in a workshop, you'll find that 50% will go to sleep. And will just walk <laughs> off and lie down on the ground and go to sleep. You just accept that. Okay, that's fine. You've, you'll also find that children might put themselves through things that you, causes you an ethical dilemma. So, two rules, no weapons, you can't be high. If you're not high and you start um, coming down and going through almost cold turkey because you're so dependent, what do you do when a child wants to engage but has to leave the room every 30 minutes to puke? Because that's where they're at in terms of coming down. Um, where's your responsibility in that? Where, what ethically do you do for someone who really wants to participate but actually there's, there's a real cost to them participating? So thinking through those protection and care issues are, are huge. And then the second one is focus on design. One of the key things that, that I do in most ideation sessions is, is, the, is work with people on a design brief. What does a, what does a solution have to deliver? What, what does it need to look like in order for you to say these ideas have a chance of success? Um, that's a really good thing to do with vulnerable groups. So they may struggle, particularly um, children who've lacked um, access to education, who may be in very difficult circumstances. They may struggle to think of um, really creative solutions, um, but they do know what good design looks like. They do know what appropriate is. So for instance, children who are living on the street, if they're trying to earn some money, they generally might have a shoe shining kit or they might have something else. Where do they store it at night? How do they sleep? When do they store it when they want to sleep? How do they keep these things safe? Um, so by just saying, okay, we're going to design somewhere where you can keep your things, where you have access to those things, where, what would the design of that need to deliver? Does it need to be 24-hour access? Does it need to be manned or unmanned? Does it need to be somewhere, does it need to have measures around it that make sure that you're not mugged as you go in or out? Because people know you've got things. Does it need to have access to other services or will that dissuade you from actually coming into it? So all those kind of things where you're saying actually you've defined the problem but the brief, if you can get participation and creativity around the brief of what the solution needs to deliver, it can get really 
it can be really helpful and a really useful way of doing things. So they're just um, some reflections on a very minute part of the innovation facilitation process, but quite a um, quite an important part. So hopefully it was useful.